0: Welcome to the Blacknificent Life Podcast with your host, Sister Dr. Mongaza Michael Bandele. Join us now as we showcase lessons from Black achievement as example and instruction for how you can live greatly.
1: So welcome to the Blacknificent Life Podcast with Sister Dr. Mongaza Michael Bandele. In this space, this is where we celebrate historic and everyday examples of Black beauty, power, and genius, in a world trained not to see. You see, here, we remind you of the pure joy in being exactly who you are, and our intention to use lessons from Black Achievement as instruction for learning thinking skills and action habits for producing a magnificent, indeed, a Black-nificent life. Most importantly, we invite you, our listeners, into a knowing of Black Achievement as a launching pad that informs and activates your own greatness. And so today on this podcast, I am so excited to introduce you to Dr. William James Jones. Dr. Jones is a clinical psychologist who has conducted considerable research in the area of self-actualization among African-Americans. Now, self-actualization is, a, is generally identified as a process by which a person actually achieves at the highest level in some particular area of their life. So not only has Dr. Jones written his dissertation about the process of self-actualization among three historic African-American leaders, he's actually applying self-actualization in his day-to-day practice. And so today we have the benefit of both scholar and practitioner. Let me just tell you a little more about Dr. Jones. He received his bachelor's degree in psychology from Biola University, a master's in clinical psychology with an emphasis in marriage and family therapy from Pepperdine. And then he completed his Ph.D. in clinical psychology with an emphasis in depth psychology from Pacifica Graduate Institute. Dr. Jones is an adjunct professor who has taught clinical psychology at Pepperdine and at Antioch Universities. And, you know, he's just earned a host of academic awards and certifications and received specialty trainings as well as having earned a postdoc. And so now he's president of the Jones Psychology Group, his own mental health group. Let me just welcome you, Dr. Jones, to the Black Life podcast.
0: Oh, I am well. What a wonderful introduction. I need to just uh, carry a, a recording of this with me on, on a day that's just a, a rough morning.
1: Well, you know, we can arrange that. It's your work. It's your life that that you've already committed to that makes this intro so easy to do. You know, it's just a bit of a reflection of what you've dedicated yourself to do. And we're just so grateful to have the benefit of that work here today on the Black Nervousine Life podcast.
0: Well, absolutely. It's my pleasure. And uh, I look forward to our conversation.
1: As do I. And, and you know, I want to. Our audience, I just want to make sure that they know how this conversation actually came together because really it was just I say divine just divine opportunity here where I was doing research and I was looking for the intersection of self-actualization and African-Americans as you know much better than I there's not been a lot of research done that looks at self-actualization among African-Americans and so it just makes your contribution to the literature your contribution to, to the research all the more valuable. And that your work intersects the historical dimension of African-American life just adds another layer of significance to the research.
0: Well, thank you.
1: You know, there's so much good, juicy information and inspiration to be shared in this conversation. And so today we're going to explore the topic of self-actualization among African-Americans with just a cursory look of the findings of Dr. Jones's dissertation, his research, and its intersection with historic African-Americans. And then we'll also glean some insights into how, how did he incorporate self-actualization into his practice? And so just hang in here, we've got a lot of good good stuff to, to cover. So let me just ask this notion of self-actualization, how did you get involved in, in its research generally, and more specifically, its connection to African-Americans?
0: Yeah, well, a uh, great question. And um, I'm going to have to stand here because I like, to, I like to move around as I speak. So uh, can you hear me just fine? I can hear you perfectly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, as a young boy in Chicago, um, I often struggled with um, uh, mentorship. And I, I struggled with understanding what, what does it mean to be a young uh, male uh, black boy in Chicago um, with, um, you know, fairly limited resources. Uh, Unfortunately, my dad wasn't in the home at the time, but he was, I kept hearing these wonderful stories about um his gift as a musician that he was this prolific drummer and was often uh, being asked to uh, travel uh, the the country to play for different bands from you know Shalimar to you know earthwind and Fire all this stuff and 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 to uh, you know do tours and so on and I kept hearing this this he was kind of a legend in in on the south side of Chicago in the neighborhood that that I grew up in, uh, but I didn't know him I didn't really know him that well so um i i often found myself looking for inspiration, looking for guidance, male guidance, uh, through books uh, and through media and through sports and through others that I saw that were out there doing something um, similar to what I heard my, my father was doing, which was operating at this high level of excellence in his craft. Now there were there were there were personal uh, deficits that that he needed to address that you know um, unfortunate uh, you know drugs and alcoholism and things like that that kind of runs deep in my family got in the way, but his gift his uh, of of uh, um, musicianship if you will where he taught himself how to play you know more than a dozen different instruments I kept hearing about this and wondered what that looked like for me what does my version of of excellence look like what am I Good at uh, these are questions that I had as a little boy. So um, I have uh, uh, three men in particular that that were the start of this this conversation within myself. Um, first, it was my grandfather, um, Alonso Jones. He was the um, chief of police for the second district in Chicago, and um, we used to live on 114th and Racine. It's a, it's a pretty um, it's a rough area, but um, uh, there are Great resources there as far as um, a sense of community, but there's a lack of resource there as far as um, you know. Uh, well, let's just start with the mindset of, of many of the, the individuals that I found myself around at that time. But my point of bringing up my grandfather is that he was a pillar in that community, and a lot of the gangs at that time would put down their arms and and, and would would um, not uh, allow violence to take place on the days that he sponsored these community park events where he invited the entire community to come out and to have a good time. It was kind of like a carnival-like atmosphere where the police force and the community were one. And he had such respect in in that community. I remember looking at that and looking up to him. And he was probably the most consistent uh, source of paternal love um, that I experienced, and he, and he unfortunately died when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. but he was my first um, inspiration of of what, um, you know, paternal and, and male excellence looks like, where he worked himself to the bone, often worked, um, you know, two, three shifts to um, help provide for a very young mom uh, that I had at that time, and, and, uh, and to make up for the difference of my father being absent. Mm-hmm. So he was the first uh, source of, of of inspiration of what excellence looks like. But also, uh, William James, who I'm named after. Um, there is, uh, I never met him, he died before I was born. But I, I noticed that when I asked my family about this man, there there was a kind of a code of silence, if you will, um, because he, he changed after uh, he, his service in the war. He was, uh, from what I understand, one of the first uh, African-American Green Berets. Um, uh, from what my grandmother told me, he was uh, sought after at the highest levels of government, uh, including the CIA, to to, uh, to 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 work on behalf of the U.S. Uh, system. And um, my grandmother talked him out of that, and and so forth. But my point is that I, I kept hearing that he had this remarkable mind, um, that he was self-taught, and that he was exquisite, um, not only in the martial arts but in in, in and, you know, these covert operations, mm-hmm. but I never met him and I didn't really know much more about him. And so um, I'm looking for, um, well, well, who else is out there? Who else is in my, my area, in my community that is is excelling um, at, at whatever it is that they're meant to do? And Michael Jordan was uh, uh, probably the first um, uh, true, I mean, outside of Malcolm and, and, and Dr. King, but one of the first accessible, um, touchable icons that I had as a young boy in Chicago uh, to look up to. And he's, he's what really um, kind of sparked my engine as far as self-actualization. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't know that was the term then, uh, but his influence, his impact on not only the city of Chicago, but on me as a young boy looking at this man who um, worked harder, uh, than everybody else on the team and was considered, you know, one of the best players um, of his generation. And he still, he worked as if he had nothing. He, he, he would stay after games and, and lay on the, I will hear these stories about him laying on his back on the court. And this is after a full game where he, you know, scored, um, you know, 30, 40 points, whatever it is, did a remarkable job. And the, the rest of the team is out partying or whatever. And he's still there working and he's still there practicing his craft. And not taking it for granted and studying film and studying his, his opponents and, and, and recognizing his, his own limitations. And that just inspired me. It really inspired me. I said, what is it? What is it that's in him um, that he's able to, to consistently draw on this? And he's not, he's not satisfied with what we would consider perfection um, in his craft. He is constantly seeking to develop himself and become better. And then when I look at people like uh, Dr. King and I look at uh, people like Malcolm X and I look at all these other leaders um you know that were able to press forward despite obstacles and threats to their lives and and um resistance and obstacles and 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 I just I wanted that for me I wanted to know what that felt like for me
1: so so just for context, you started this inquiry at a very it sounds like a very young age
0: oh yes. Okay. Oh yes.
1: And so it just continued through adolescence and into your adult life, would you say?
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh you know, I had a I had a prior career as a, a little young actor and that was my way out of that 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 situation in Chicago, uh which is probably a story for another day, but my 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 point is is that I didn't realize that there was a concept that there was an, an ideology uh about this this particular phenomenon that I was interested in, which is you know, literally realizing one's true self and operating in one's true potential um, at a consistent level, at a, a on a consistent high level of excellence, and that just was so inspiring to me. Um, You know, and and I might need your help because I I, I get uh, pretty passionate about this stuff, and I can deviate in all, into all kinds of stories, <laughs> but
1: but but it's it's all connected, right? It's all so connected our lives and how these things are intersected. And we just, we find ourselves in places where there's relational uh, understanding to be had. So,
0: yeah, well, great. Well, let me, let me just explain a little bit about self-actualization. Um, when, when I stumbled across Maslow's theory, uh, Abraham Maslow, he, he seemed to um, talk about this, this, this notion of self-actualization in a way that really spoke to my soul. Um, now, many people know Maslow and his hierarchy of needs, and, uh, you know, he has the, we have different levels. We have the basic needs, we have these physiological needs, and we have these self-fulfillment needs, and, and they're not necessarily um, in order. So, for example... Uh, according to maslow if you were to uh meet your physiological needs such as having access to food and water and warmth and rest and so on then you can go on to meet other needs such as your safety needs and if you are able to feel safe in the community or the family structure that you're in then you can move on and you can then focus on other needs such as belongingness and love and intimate relationships and friends and then once you have a, a sense of stability in that area, then you can move on and focus on self-esteem and prestige and feelings of accomplishment. And, and then that leads to, to the higher part of his, his hierarchy of needs, which is achieving one's full potential, um, including you know creative activities and so on. And he's developed other theories since then about transcendence. But the self-actualization, according to this theory, happens when all these other needs are met. And so one of the things that got my attention well, was, well, then how did people like um, Oprah or um, Condoleezza Rice or Mandela or Douglas or Du Bois or Washington, how did they do this? How were they able to still fulfill their, their, their potential uh, to, to still fulfill these, these, these actualized needs when they weren't necessarily safe, they didn't necessarily operate in a sense of security. In fact, with Douglas, you know, uh, becoming literate, he could have died. He could have been killed for that. He could have been, um, you know, who 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 knows the atrocity that he would have experienced and did experience that he he was able to push through despite these obstacles. So, so that that let me know that there's something missing in this 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 theory that. In many ways, I thought Maslow got it right with his understanding of self-actualization, but but physiological and safety needs and even belongingness um, didn't necessarily happen for some of the pillars of our community. Mm-hmm. And so then I wanted to do a deeper dive into what what makes them who they are. How did they navigate this? How did they still uh, follow this intrinsic need for growth um, in in a way that um, you know we're, we're still gleaning from their, their knowledge and, and from their, their legacy.
1: You know, they represent such a question mark if you are to believe that there are certain things that must be in place before one achieves and that one does not achieve highly in the midst of trauma. But but your investigation discovers something a little different, right?
0: Yeah. So if we were to talk about uh, self-actualization um, uh, just for a moment, it, it is defined as the full realization of one's potential and one's true self. Um, it's an ongoing process. It's not necessarily a destination where you stop. Um, it's the process of actualizing your potentiality at any time in any amount. And and essentially it's doing, it's working to do well, that, that thing, that one, um, it, it could be many things, but that thing that one wants to do similar to what my, my feelings about Michael Jordan was as a young boy in Chicago, mm-hmm. that he was uh, an actualized athlete. He he was able to harness his potential and 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 feed it in a way where it was consistent. Mm-hmm. So uh, I didn't initially start off wanting to study uh, Douglas and Washington and Du Bois. I actually wanted to study Obama, uh, President Obama. I wanted to study Oprah and I wanted to study uh, Mandela and a few others, Cole and Powell. And one of the things that I started to find as I did my research on these these individuals is they all seem to honor and talk a lot about what they have received from studying these particular men. And I didn't necessarily want to go uh, that far back into history, uh, but I realized in order to better understand those that are inspiring me the most, I need to understand who inspired them.
1: You, you know, this is just so, so, well, let, let me make sure I'm following, following you here. Your first choice, I'd say, was to study contemporary um, achievers, think people that you knew. But, but then when you begin to look at them and you begin to ask what was it that inspired them, they took you back. They they directed you to look at the historical background that they were aware of that actually inspired them. Yes. And we're talking about Frederick Douglass, Booker, Booker T. Washington, W.E.B. Du Bois. That's right. Okay.
0: And I and trust me, I tried uh, every little uh, thing I could to pull out of that and to try to <laughs> make an argument for studying. Um, you know, I really wanted to study Colin Powell and and Obama and, um, and some others. But I, I just kept seeing these names pop up and they kept referring to Douglas. They kept referring to Washington. They kept referring to Du Bois. And I said, I, you know, I, I, have, to, I have to do this. I have to investigate um, these men in a way where I, I too can understand why they are such pillars uh, uh, for our community and for our growth and for the growth of the people who I admired the most, my mentors from afar. And it was a painful, uh, painful process. Um, you know, in my in my research, I, I you know, ultimately came out with um, not only common traits that the three men um, share, um, but you know, another another idea that um, Maslow talks about are are NADIR in ADIR experiences, mm-hmm. and how a lot of growth uh, can take place. In an actualized self, from not just peak experiences, which are uh, more positive, but these nadir experiences, which are, are typically more negative and they traumatic. And it's through these crises that the individual has a sustained, um, an enduring path towards full growth. And uh, so when I started to do a, a deep dive into Douglas, um, starting with him, it was just wow. I mean. Um, my respect for him uh is it just it deepened into this abyss of my soul that i didn't even know existed, uh, but it was also painful because there were a lot of atrocities and a lot of a lot of perspectives that he he mentioned in his autobiography and other speeches that are so similar to things that we still are experiencing today and and I felt as if douglas and and washington and the uh, bois and the 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 relationship of Du Bois and in Washington and how they um, you know that tension between the two they both had they offered different perspectives but one in the same goal which was to uplift an, a community and to and to spread this equality. But my point is that I felt like these men were just had so much to say. I, I have so many books uh, about them and, and written by them. And I literally felt like the books were vibrating on my bookshelf. And I, I had to go into my own uh, therapeutic space just to weep and to grieve and to be inspired and to be excited and to get angry and all these different things when I tried to get into the psyche of these men, um, which led to the traits that, that, that I unveiled in the, uh, the dissertation.
1: So clearly you did, you did much more than a historical review. You did just in the way you explained that your inquiry had to do with getting to know not simply the words, but um, where they generated from. What were the patterns that these words suggested about these individuals? I mean, beyond title, and position, but but really at their center, and I can only imagine. That's what I call a um, an an ancestral engagement. You know that it's history, but it's actually a part of your ancestry too. They are men like you, you know, like like thinking and walking and figuring this life out the way that you are, like you like you do. And so you get an opportunity to lock minds and hearts. And make it meaningful in ways that really, really ex- ex- reflect who you are and what you are to contribute in this life. And so, in your inquiry, what what did you find?
0: Yeah, well, I I, I used a um in essence, and I know we'll we'll talk about this the next time as well. But it was a, a text-based analysis, and 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 the fact that I'm a, a psychologist and was in a depth psychological program at the time. So there was a lot of interpretation of what I thought was going on within their minds and and where I thought some of the motivation came from to pursue certain things or to behave in certain ways or to speak out on certain things and to stay quiet on others mm-hmm. and so I, I, I you know it 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 really was a um, uh, i mean when I, even when I think about psychodynamic theory. And the unconscious need for the other, you know, between Du Bois and between Washington, one was looking at the practicality of of what's needed for uh, the the black male and woman and 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 how the other was thinking about progress in the academic realm and in, and in, 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 in Culture and 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 how they both had a point and they needed each other They they needed each other in a, in a, a conscious but also an unconscious way in in order to refine their perspective and to refine their argument and so to, to do a deep dive into that was so um, uh, Eye-opening You know, I asked myself uh, six key questions that that I kept in mind throughout my investigation of their work. You know, one of the questions was, you know, what are the key experiences of these men in childhood and adulthood? So I was looking for key peak experiences. And I could talk a little bit more about what what I mean by peak experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, Two, um, you know, how did the men achieve self-actualization despite living during a time of overwhelming circumstances? You know, I, what what initially uh, got my curiosity going for this this research outside of just some very young, adolescent um, inspiration of great people was why aren't there more? This is the question I asked myself. Why aren't there more people like King today? Why aren't there more people like Malcolm today? Why aren't there more people out there who are in leadership positions um, advocating and 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 speaking on the behalf of the community and 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 standing arm in arm with advocates and so forth and so on in in the same way and that led me on a whole different journey of you know what's what's missing or is it happening and we just don't hear about it or there's no glory in, you know, being in the trenches and 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 it's not necessarily written about. And I mean, it led me on a, such a such a journey of of trying to answer that question of why aren't there more like these people today? Um, but anyway, just getting back to the research question, I wanted to look at some similarities and differences in their process of realized potential. What was what was similar about these three men and 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 how did they differ? And then how are their leadership qualities developed? Because uh, a lot of this was intrinsic, you know, especially with Douglas, he didn't necessarily see um, great leadership. He, it, it, you know, right? It, 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 it not only happened organically, but he, like an amoeba, right? Um, you know, not to get into to too much biology, but if you look at look at an amoeba, it's it's a one cell organism, but it's it's naturally conscious enough. To seek whatever is in its environment that can sustain it, mm-hmm. right? And so, if you look at the environment of these individuals, most most people in their situation didn't continue to seek, didn't continue to seek what else is in the environment that can add to their development. You know, some people, which we can call maybe a learned helplessness, um, just seek homeostasis, which is what an amoeba will also do. It, it will get just enough to survive, mm-hmm. right? Whereas, mm-hmm. yeah, right, to sustain itself, mm-hmm. to just sustain the self that it knows itself to be, right? Mm-hmm. And then there are others that want to consume and want to grow and want to move past their environment. And, and that was something that was intrinsic within these individuals that I was, I was curious about that. you know, how, how is that natural? Is that just them or is it, is it within all of us? Um, Mm -hmm. So these are some of the questions that that I asked. And I also wanted to look at unconscious factors that seem to motivate them and drive them and uh, what this looks like in the African-American male today. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then what cultural factors did Maslow not consider? Um, You know, he he did his work at a time that was that was very different than now. um, But I think there are aspects of his theory that are still very useful. Mm
1: hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's so many ways we could go on this, um, because just the little bit that I know about Maslow's background and his childhood and the way that there were some subjugation, I'll say, and some bigotry that he experienced, I have to wonder if that affected or influenced the direction of of his research and his expertise, but we're not gonna go there. There's so so many different ways we could go here, and so much that we could touch upon. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, there's there's like a drum roll, uh, like that's slowly emerging in the background of my mind because, like, from the research that you've done, it's like following breadcrumbs to the question. So, the question being, what is it? That we can do, that any people can do, but particularly Black folks, for instance, box, you know, and identify clearly, that would actually help to nurture the kind of leadership that those three great men, your research is focused on. Um, that that's the question. Like that's what I hear percolating. Like, what is it that your research told us in terms of providing clues along the way? that could just, that could just further guide. I'm just sitting here waiting, waiting with bated breath here.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, um, I found that they have 15 common attributes in their process of self-actualization. And I'll say this before I tell you the 15, one of the, when you talk about Maslow's history, uh, and there are many things that we could talk about that. But one of the things that he did, which is similar to the natural process I found myself in, which is he wanted to study his mentors. He wanted to know, he he wanted to figure out what it was about the people that were teaching him, such as Ruth Benedict and Max uh, uh, Wertheimer and Einstein and others that um, he, you know, some were his direct mentors as far as professors and others were mentors from afar, kind of like these men were to me. Uh, and he wanted to know what made them so great, what made them who they are and and that's that's initially what began his his deep dive into um, the whole theory of self actualization mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so uh what I found with with the three men and and is and i 'm sure there could be even more, but I found that it was consistent in all of their work and everything that I read about them is number one, they had faith in their their capability there was a faith component in their actual capability. I'll actually, I'll tell you all 15, and I'll give you a brief little snapshot of what I mean by, by each 15.
1: Okay, okay. And and let me ask you this. Are you um, providing these 15 in order of greater significance or not necessarily? Not
0: necessarily. Oh, okay. Not necessarily. It, it just, uh, I just recognized that after years of just living and swimming in in all their Mm -hmm. lives, Mm -hmm. that there were 15 undeniable similarities.
1: Undeniable. Okay. All right. So podcast audience, we're talking undeniable now. It's here. He's giving freely what this research tells us about self-actualization. And uh, these will be characteristics that could be applicable to your life. So here we go.
0: Okay. So uh, number one, and again, in no particular order, it was faith in one's capabilities. Number two was faith in a higher power or in justice for humanity. Uh, Number three was feeling called. Number four, resilience. Number five, pursuit of knowledge. Number six, mission-driven. Number seven, desire to change circumstances. Number eight, a spirit of advocacy. Number nine, they had unifying agendas. 10, belief in accountability. 11, integrity despite risk of loss. 12, a quest for excellence. 13, service-minded. 14, belief in justice. And 15, fundamental belief in equality.
1: Wow. Wow! <laughs> wow! What jewels! What what? The first one really, really, uh, belief in in one's own uh, abilities. I'm not saying it exactly as you did. Uh, it's just if you don't have that, and that's why I put, prompted me to ask you: Is that is this in in the order of priority? If you don't have that. It's a wall. It's a rash. A wash. So. So, so any one of those 15 really jump out for you?
0: Yeah, well, if we if we started even with the first one, a faith in one's capabilities, mm-hmm. when you think about um uh, let's say Douglas, for example, he he didn't really understand at first what what reading was, what 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 um what was happening when he um uh, noticed and, and watched his um master's wife teach her son how to read or, or or would read books to him but he just knew that something remarkable happened on the other end of that that child That something that that had power uh, was happening through those words that he wanted access to and he figured out a way to to um to to to, to harness that starting with a with a faith that he too could have that that he too had that um, capacity to understand these strange words from this, this, this you know uh, piece of paper, but, but that it, it would give some kind of access to a power or to an understanding of self or an understanding of, of this, this strange new world he found himself in. Um, and he demonstrated that resolute faith uh, consistently in his ability to survive all these potential acts of violence that were aimed at preventing him towards reaching the fullness of his humanity. When we think about uh, faith in a higher power or in, in the justice of humanity, uh, number two, there, there are some examples. Um, for example, like Washington, he demonstrated this trait when he would uh, say things such as, um, "You know, right, right here, perhaps I ought to add that I make it a rule never to go before an audience on any occasion without asking the blessing of God upon what I want to say." Mm. And so that that faith in a higher power carried him all the way through, mm. right. Yeah. Um, each leader presented with deeply religious convictions or criticisms of religion and religious people as a whole, yet they, they maintain their faith in the justice of humanity or the justice of this higher power.
1: Which of these had criticisms about
0: religion? Or- well, uh, Du Bois, uh, for example. Okay. And what, was, what were his criticisms? Well, um, you know, for one, um, he thought a lot of it was was uh, uh, hypocritical, okay. okay, right, and and propaganda. You know, the very same people that are uh, you know promoting this uh, Judeo Christian God are the same people that are whipping and beating and 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 killing um, people within the community for you know congregating, for meeting, for trying to read, for trying to advocate for equality and so forth and so on. So he thought it was just a big um you know piece of propaganda
1: Thank you. Um, something oh okay so okay that's another podcast that's uh <laughs> yeah okay so um the pursuit of knowledge that was number 5 i believe uh and that pointed to how knowledge had great value and its offering had to do with actual actually lifting up people
0: yeah they they uh, absolutely they uh, believed that knowledge was truly what gave men access to, to the kingdom of various degrees of social equality, uh, parity, freedom, uh, you name it. They knew that that knowledge was, was a key.
1: Yes, yes. And I point to that because oftentimes when we talk about knowledge, uh, historical knowledge, Uh, particularly formal, when we talk about acquiring expertise and degrees, we often think about it in terms of position, how it is that it's going to allow us to acquire more things, more physical things, and less about how it opens our, our minds and our hearts to really manifesting who we are and being a contribution in the world such that we can be in service to others.
0: That's right. Yeah, in fact, uh, that that's a lot of the work that I do in my practice. Um, when you talk about an empty self, and um, uh, often you know people may show up here with depression, with anxiety, and other other issues, but I find that a lot of them, um, when we get down to the, the core of what what's really going on, you know, especially here in in Western society, we have put so much value on consuming things and on on property, on on, on materials. And on uh, status and and so on, where there's this core empty self that's left, and and you can often see this when um, you know, for example, someone has a um, you know horrible situation happen where they may have been working at a particular company for you know a decade or more, or, or for such a long time, and that company goes out of business, or there's layoffs, and it's hard to get work. Mm-hmm. And I know ageism is a thing, but my point is that so much of the identity is, is intertwined with vocation that without the vocation, the person loses themselves. And so the actual pursuit of knowledge isn't what it it, it ought to be in its purest form, where there's an expansion of self, there's an integration of self, there's a, there's a um, expanding of perspective about different life and life forms and, uh, uh, you know, you name it, where you know, I mean, the more I've learned, the more I realize I don't know. I, there's just, it's endless. Mm-hmm. It's endless. Um, so yeah, just going back to the, the number five of pursuit of knowledge, they, they knew that it not only had this power to um, uh, give access to the, to the kingdom of freedom and, 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 and societal equality, but it helped nourish the parts of their own souls, their own minds that needed the growth that needed to understand, that needed to, to, to um, for example, when I used to be in the, the theatrical world, you know, I was a young actor and, uh, and went to a performing arts academy in Chicago. And, you know, I had an amazing experience with all that, but part of what I loved about that process of learning how to, uh, you know, become a, a method actor, if you will, was just the, 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 the research, the research and trying to understand someone who's very different than me try to understand what motivates an individual to behave in such a way that's so different than who I am and that gave me um, balance, it gave me um, compassion for for people that are so very different, and I use that same uh, curiosity in in my psychological work when I'm sitting across from someone who is so different than than who I am, who thinks and behaves in ways that are so remarkably different. Yet when when we get down to the core of who they are, there are so many similarities. There are so many um, um, acts of of unrecognized trauma and unrecognized, um, um, you know, wounding that, that needs to be healed. And just by paying attention to uh, these these cuts and bruises in the, on the heart and souls of different men and women, I've seen amazing things happen. And I think that these these three men um, knew that as well through their pursuit of knowledge.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just so the audience to know, in the show notes for this podcast. um, We'll actually include those particular attributes. They'll be listed. So you can take a look at this a little more closely. I know we're moving right along here in this conversation, but you will be able to access and have references um, in the show notes. So with that in mind, I'd like to segue into just how it is you incorporate this understanding of self-actualization um, into your work. You, you, you mentioned that you had been a method act actor and I wondered if there was a relationship between that work and the work that you now do as a psychologist, like walking in someone else's shoes as an actor allows you to actually um, understand and and be with the minds of, of of people that are different from yourselves. So, can you talk about how that particular that particular experience, that training as a method actor, contributed to you as a psychologist?
0: Yeah, well, I, I will start by saying I'm, I'm certainly not an actor anymore. <laughs> I think mean, that is, uh, but that that training has stayed with me, mm-hmm. and I think the openness that that is. Um, inherent in, in, the, in the actor's um, preparation and just being open to the story of another, open to what makes them who they are and how in their own mindset, you, their behavior is justified or it makes sense to them. And, and so seeking to, to make sense of, of often irrational things has really opened my mind and, and helped me in my practice. So as far as uh, here with the clinical work, I have a, just a natural, and, 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 it's, and it's been sharpened by all the, all the, the research, but a natural belief uh, in each person that, that sits in front of me that they too want to experience their true self. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and there are so many things, there's so many filters, there's so much gook and stuff that has gotten in the way of them experiencing their true self. And so a lot of my work is helping them to get rid of all the weeds and all the stuff that has nothing to do with who they actually are, Mm -hmm. nothing whatsoever. Um, Sometimes my favorite uh, clients to work with are the ones who typically present as the most depressed because they tend to know without understanding it that something is misaligned in their soul. Something is off something, they can't quite put their finger on it, but they know they are not living their true life, their true self. Mm-hmm. And so we go on this exploration. That's one of the things about depth psychology is that there's an, there's an exploration into the deepest parts of the self. And so we, we, we learn these things together because no one knows them as well as they do. Mm-hmm. And, and as we go on this journey inward, We come across all kinds of stuff that doesn't belong to them, stuff that belongs to their religion, stuff that belongs to their political party, stuff that belongs to their family, stuff that belongs to their culture. all this different stuff that may or may not belong to them. And so then they have this opportunity in therapy to reintegrate what actually belongs to them now, what what they want to um, uh, own, what they want to, um, you know. Reintegrate back into, into their sense of, of self. Mm-hmm. And, and that is one of the most um, rewarding aspects of this work to, to, to take that journey with someone uh, and to get to the core of who they are. And, and many people don't know that. They think they don't know that. And so we start to move away the veil of all these different things and we look at who's left standing there without the vocation, without the this, without the act, without all that stuff, without the materials. Who is left? And that's the person that um, wants to realize themselves, wants to actualize themselves. And that's what I help them do.
1: So in a world where the beauty, the power and the genius of black people is often um, overlooked, unrecognized, marginalized, I can only imagine how powerful a process it is when you allow people when you allow people to share that which is not theirs, you know, those negative attributes, those things that people have uh, placed upon one's identity and character, I'm sure that must be a very powerful, powerful process uh, when you allow people to unleash that which never was theirs in the first place, uh, known as stereotypes and um, ways of seeing black folks that uh, are diminished.
0: Yeah, I've I found that a lot of young brothers, a lot of a lot of young black men, tend to find me, and it is the most powerful and rewarding work. In fact, uh, in in launching or relaunching this, because um, I started with just a private practice, and it's grown into a group practice, mm-hmm. and soon I will be um, you know taking on even more uh, people uh, in a bigger facility, so that I can. Um, Not just be a a psychologist to some of these young brothers, but to be a mentor and the kind of mentor that I wish I had uh, when I was their age. But my my point being that there are now this isn't everyone. You know, one of the great things about, let's say, Hyde Park in Chicago. um, That was the last place I lived before I was uh, brought out here to Los Angeles to, to, to work on a TV series. I had never been around so many highly educated black people in my life. I just I didn't even know they existed. Uh, and and it wasn't until that experience that I got exposed to Black Muslims that were teaching me things about um, my own history that I had no clue about. Um, to just just Black intellectuals that uh, were living in these high rises and riding up and down the elevators with me, and and they were Congress people and they were politicians, and I just I had no idea that this e- was even out there outside of the Cosby show or something at that time. So that exposure um, normalized for me, um, black excellence. Mm. And for some of the young brothers that I'm working with, um, they don't necessarily see it in their communities either. And so um, a lot of the work that I was not only helping them to um, recognize their intrinsic value and their intrinsic potential. If you remove all the gook, all the stuff, of life, all the stuff of oppression, all the stuff of uh, racism and, and, the, and prejudice, and 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 um, how you know the some young brothers really believe they're not as valuable as the next man, and getting rid of all that stuff and helping them to identify that that is not yours, that does not belong to you, uh, and 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 that they have the power, um, and they have the. Um, uh, permission to say what they will ingest and accept and what no longer belongs to them and that liberation right there is is to me what what Maslow meant as an actualized person watching someone walk and talk and breathe and behave in their full self uh, and still growing right still growing still feeding that cell so that they can continue to realize aspects of their potential they didn't know existed.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Here at the Blacknificent Life Learning Complex, we know that there is a a magnificent experience awaiting when you really um, focus. Our ancestors have already paid for that opportunity. Whatever is required to have access to the greater of who we are. And when we look at our history... When we look at what you just talked about around us and see these examples, these demonstrations, this evidence of excellence, oh my! The power is unimaginable. There's nothing that we can't do, be, have when we are standing in that particular that particular awareness. And I, I have to tell you, but and I I just want to say this to you before uh, we go on to our next question. Your your work. Brother Jones is just so important to the elevation of people of African descent. You have looked at and connected who we have been and connected that to who we are to be at our very best. And it's just such a, just a gift, not just talking about it and writing about it as important as both of those mediums of communication are, but you actually do the work as a psychologist and And I'm just so happy to hear that you focus on young men. We all need it, and your focus on young men is is very refreshing so it's exciting to know of your work it's exciting to know of your practice, and you give us so much so much to look forward to okay, so uh, one last question as we wind down here what well, just what is it in your mind when you're working with these young brothers or old brothers or what What is it that you most work to have them know and understand? And you may have touched on some of that previously in this conversation. But if there was like that five minute conversation you would have with a brother at a bus stop or somebody listening to this podcast for the first time and in hearing them and in hearing you, you know, for them, there would be something particularly helpful it would be particularly helpful to them, like connecting the message of today to their lives? What, what, what would that be?
0: Well, I would say this, uh, and there are many, many, many things I would uh, love to say about uh, that question. Um, but to keep it brief, I often will start with helping them to recognize that they are not who they see reflected back to them in society my work often is a metaphorical mirror to the core self. Mm -hmm. And what I try to do to heal and to uplift and to breathe life into an emaciated soul is to reflect back to them parts of who they are that they do not see reflected back to them in society or in media or um, in their neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And that alone um, um, has been um, useful in resuscitating a um, a zombie-like existence for some of these, these young brothers. Now, in my practice, you know, I, I have a lot of everybody. I mean, I teach multicultural psychology for a reason. You know, I teach this at APU, I teach this at Pacifica, I teach it at uh, Antioch, I teach it at Pepperdine. Um, but part of the reason for that is that uh, the gift of diversity as well, the the, the gift of diverse perspectives and, and leaning on one another and looking at some of those pictures of the civil rights movement and, and Dr. Keem ar- arm in arm with people who look very different than him and people who look just like him, standing arm in arm for the injustice.
1: Listen, listen, I cannot thank you enough for both being on the journey that you are and for sharing aspects of that journey, allowing us to to glean the value that it has for people throughout the world, especially black folks. And so, Please give us your contact information. The question is not whether if people will want to contact you, but I know they will. Our audience are made up of people with minds who are expanding. That's why they're listening to this particular podcast. And I know they have they certainly have an opportunity to do that, being in contact with you. Wonderful.
0: Um, Well, first of all, they can uh, always access my my website. Um, it's the jones You know, it's just my last name, the Jones, the Jones Or, uh, they can also email me. Um, um, it's my full name, William James Jones, PhD at gmail.com. Again, it's William James Jones, PhD at gmail.com. And, uh, this, this is part of my calling is to, uh, continue this work Um, to continue to help people uh, along with myself deepen who we are, um, have a, a clearer picture of who we are and of what we can be, especially when we work together.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And so do you work with people who are outside of your geographic locale? Is there a virtual system that you have in place?
0: Well, yeah. If it's, if it's clinical work, uh, they need to be in the state of California. But if it's life coaching, if it's consultations, uh, things of that nature, then they can be anywhere in the country. I have video sessions that I do for that. And uh, so that that's all fine.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. We are so thankful for this new technology as I slowly move into the 21st century here. So listen, Dr. Jones, thank you again for being our guest on the Black Nifficent Life podcast. We have gained immeasurable value from this conversation and we look forward to staying in contact with you. And um, I am sure I speak for the listening audience when I say this is just a treasure, just a jewel you've given us. And we certainly thank you. And um, we'll have to do this again. I hope that you'll come back and expand this conversation even further. Thank you again for joining us and uh, we'll look forward to doing it again.
0: Absolutely, yes, thank you. It It was a wonderful experience for me as well. Absolutely Thank you for listening to this edition of the Black Nificent Life podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our email list at www.blacknificentlife.com. And whatever you do, be sure to consciously, consistently, and courageously craft your own magnificent life. Until next time.